Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Are you there yet? You don't even have to. You can just look at the screens because we've got it up there. It says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. Who has the ministry? We. Since we, that means all of us, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly. How many of you like plain truth? I love plain truth. Don't give me complicated truth. If I've got to figure it out, if I have to learn Greek and Hebrew to figure out truth, I'm going to be in trouble. Tell me like it is. Make the truth plain. That's that's how I like it. So by setting forth the truth plainly, We commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Because the God of this age, that's a lowercase g, okay? Who's he talking about? The God of this age is the devil. Romy gets a gold star for the day. (laughs) The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's a lot to keep up with. We're going to break that down. Don't worry. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. God, I pray tonight that you would help us to receive what it is that you have revealed to us through your word. And even as we dig into this scripture a little bit, I pray that you would reveal the application of this directly to the individual heart. That God, I can read this and get one application from it, but somebody else here could have a totally new and different application. But I thank you that you speak to each and every one of us through your word. So I pray that my words tonight would be your words. And we thank you for the power of your word to change a life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think the best description of our church that I would want to have described of us is family. It's a family. And this word keeps coming back over and over again. And 
You know, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and all of us were probably around some kind of a table on Thursday. And sometimes those tables include family. Sometimes those tables include friends. I remember when I was in college and playing basketball, that table was a hotel room with a hot dog bought from Exxon right down the street because we had to stay on campus for Thanksgiving break. But I was with my teammate. We had hot dogs, Fritos, and Gatorade. So that was our Thanksgiving dinner. Thanksgiving has gotten a little bit better since then. But all of us were around some kind of a table and at that table, for most people, it involves some kind of family. I love that we got to expand our table a little bit. We had a couple of guests uh, at our table, actually my mom's house, this, this past Thanksgiving, who we hadn't met before. And I was like, this is great. Somebody that feels like they're kind of being added to the family. And even though I know Thanksgiving time can be painful of some families because of dysfunction, and I'm still not sure what a fully functional family is, but... I just thank God I have one. It made me think about the way we made room at our table for someone else. And I love the spirit my mom has, because whether it's Thanksgiving or Christmas, she's just used to it. We're always bringing somebody over and squeezing somebody else in. So our table always ends up eating like this. No matter how big the table is you build, there's always, there's always crunched in, but there's always room for more. And so when I was thinking about our church and sitting at my parents' house, and I just went, this is a picture of the church. It's not just community. It's not a gathering of acquaintances and friends. It's family. And it's funny because nobody knows me quite like my family knows me. Like, I can pretend to y'all, but I can't pretend to her. You know what I mean? Like, when we sit at a table, if we've had a less than agreeable conversations prior to that, How many of you know it's going to affect the table? But if we're able to work through some stuff, there's an intimacy that comes along with that as well. But I can't fake it to my family, and I don't have to fake it to my family. But we want to create room for our family to grow. And so for us to continue to grow as a church family, it's going to take a couple of things that I think... The Apostle Paul reveals to us in this scripture in 2 Corinthians. So I actually kind of want to dig into this a little bit. But when it comes to church as a family, when God first created all of the living things in the book of Genesis, and even when he created Adam and Eve, he told them all the same thing. He said, be fruitful and increase. Be fruitful and increase. It's not the same thing. Be fruitful and and increase. In other words, when you're fruitful, it means something is coming from your life. You're not just taking up space, but you are bearing fruit in your life. For us, that means the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit that we're supposed to bear in our life. And this is a little preview for 2020. That's going to be a major focus for us as a church is How do I bear fruit in every good work? How do I make sure that I'm not just settling for love and joy when I have no peace? I want to increase in all of these things at the same time and not just settle for a little bit less than what God promised. But the desire for us as a family is that we would bear fruit. But it's also that we would increase. That means increasing in number. That means there's not as much elbow room in that pew as there used to be. 
That's God's will for us, is to bear fruit personally, bearing fruit in our lives and increasing in number in our family. And I'm convinced that the way to grow a church is to grow a church. (laughs) What does that mean? Is that in order for us to grow numerically, it means that you are growing on the inside. It means that I'm growing on the inside. It means that I'm bearing more fruit in more areas than I was the year prior to that. And so the stories I love to hear from you guys, even though, you know, we've been with you guys sometimes in painful processes and you've been with us, is when I see the fruit that's being born. The problem is it's like your kids when they grow up. Like my my son all of a sudden became 6'6". He didn't grow to that. He just woke up one day and he's 6'6", but I didn't really notice. But if somebody hasn't seen him in six months, in fact, we just booked some flights to Australia for her and Liam uh, today in, in, in coming up. And I know he's going to get off the plane. They're going to be like, oh my gosh. Well, you don't see it when you're around it all the time. Your fruit bearing is kind of the same way. You don't always see the fruit that you're bearing in your life. But boy, do we see it. Boy, do we see the increase. When I see Don get up and, and you know the most common thing I heard? And I hope you hear this the right way. They're like, that Don was not even the Don from six months ago. Just sharing about his mission trip. You were great six months ago. That's why I'm saying don't take the wrong thing. But hearing Don share about his missions trip, they're all just going, look at that fruit. Look at that. See, you don't always see it in yourself. But the desire for God for us is to bear fruit and to increase in number. Okay? And here's what I want you to see. That first scripture I read, Paul says, we have this ministry. He's talking about the gospel. You can read the earlier parts of the chapter to get that. But he's saying we have this ministry. That means we bear fruit and we increase and multiply. It doesn't mean that it happens for everybody else but not you, but we have this great ministry. I love that. Our family's not going to... What am I saying? It's it's not just for the psalm, it's for all of us. And I hate that sense and that feeling when you sit there and go, oh yeah, that guy's doing great, my whole world's falling apart. Well, you know, sometimes even when your world falls apart, you can still have all the fruit of the Spirit that was promised to you. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not the fruit of the flesh. And it's not the fruit of the world, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says, though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are renewed daily. Could you imagine waking up every day having done nothing and you were more fit than you were the day before? Your biceps got a little bit bigger. You could run a little bit faster. You even got a little taller. Could you imagine that? Well, that doesn't happen. But in your spirit, it does. His mercies are new every morning. You wake up better than you were the day before. That's God's desire for us. But then Paul goes on and says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. The truth is, our, our family doesn't grow by consultants and gimmicks and tricks and let's try this, let's try that. And I'm not against some of those things. I think they're great. But ultimately, the family grows not through those things. It grows through love. When we love each other, and I mean really love each other, and Romy spoke so beautiful on that beautifully on that quite a few times. When we genuinely love each other, then what we have grows. 
You know, physical love brings growth to a family. I'm not going to paint you a picture, but you understand what I'm saying. A family grows through physical love. So does a church family. When we love each other, that love brings growth. And the ministry that God has given us is the ministry of revealing Jesus to the world. What a great ministry we have. But there's a problem that comes with this. Because if it was just that simple, then everything would grow. Every, every church would grow. Every ministry would grow. They would see growth to, to no end. But there's a problem that we see here. In, in verse 4, we see the Bible says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Do you see that? The God of this age has blinded us, blinded the minds of unbelievers. What does that mean? It means that the reason that people aren't lining up at the door to come to every church in town is not just because they're sinning, it's because they can't see the glory of God. They're blinded to it. People choose a life of sin not because a life of sin is great, but they choose it because they're blinded to the glory of Christ. If you saw the glory that is attached to the gospel, why would you choose anything less? They, those who are apart from God, who have not experienced it, they, they are thinking that the things of the world will bring things that only heaven can bring. But they never can. If I just had financial security, if I had a, a, a good husband, a good wife, a good relationship with my friends, if I had enough Instagram followers, then all this would work out. But you can't use the things of the world to bring into your life things that only heaven can bring. Because the gospel is more than just good news. The gospel is the revealer of God's glory. It's His glory. Glory was always the goal. God's glory in us is what the gospel is revealing to us. I hope you see that. Because Jesus came not to just save us from our sins. He did that. But you're not just saved from something. You're saved to something. You see, the Bible tells us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a familiar verse, right? That means if we've fallen short of glory, what was the goal? It wasn't just salvation. The goal was not just the avoidance of hell. The goal was heaven in us. It's glory. If you fell short of glory, then glory was the goal. And the thing that's revealed in the gospel is not just the good news of being saved from sin. The thing that's revealed is we have the glory of God in us. Does this not blow your mind? God's glory lives in me. It's the goal. Colossians 1.27 says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have God's glory in us. It's not this thing that's in, in heaven that we hope to get to one day. It's in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. We have it better than Adam did before the fall. I was reading the book of Genesis and going, 
Man, if I could just get back to that. If we could get back to that state where Adam had not sinned yet. And he's walking with God in the cool of the day. Every day they come down, they're strolling in the garden. There's no sin. There's no need for air conditioning. There's no mosquitoes. I don't think they must have come after the fall. I'm pretty sure that's when they were created. They were part of the curse. Mosquitoes were part of the curse. They're walking with God in the cool of the day. I go, God, can we just get back to that? But then I read that verse. And I go, wait a minute. And I remember talking to Romy about this. And she goes, you know, we've got it better than Adam did. Adam walked with God. He lives in us. He's in us. He's not just with us. He's not in heaven cheering us on going, I'm behind you. I'm in you. He is Yahweh. He gave of himself. He's the great I am. And we have his glory living in us. Doesn't always feel that way, does it? I can promise you that there are days when what I feel inside of me is a little less than glory. But you know what that is? That's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the father of lies who tries to tell me, because I did this and this, and because I didn't do this and this, you don't have glory, you have sin. And I've got to remember, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a son who was lost, but now I'm found. And there's a profound difference between those two things. If I'm always viewing myself through my past, I'll miss that my past goes back a little bit further than my sin. You see, my past didn't start with my brokenness. My past didn't start with my rebellion and my sin because God knew me before I was created. And when God had me in mind, He didn't create a sinner. What He had in mind was a son. God did not create me and go, I'm going to create something imperfect and hope He figures it out. He goes, no, I created a son. And one day, He's going to discover what I had in mind when I wrote the blueprint for his life. And any other time you think differently to that, it is not God who's causing you to think that way. It's the thief. And we know what to do with thieves, don't we? Don't we? So what's the problem with sinners? Sinners are a problem in this world. What's the problem with sinners? It's not really sin. The problem with sinners is blindness. That verse says the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The problem with the sinner is not that they sin. The problem is that they're blind to the glory of God. It's like they're faced with choices. If you're ever given a better option, why would you choose a less option? <laughs> I remember there was a year that 
uh, Romy had flown to Australia. This was actually around Christmas. And she took the kids over to Australia, and I was coming over a little bit later. I had to stay for some Christmas services we were doing, but I was going to fly out on Christmas Day to, to catch up with them. And, and I remember on her way over, she got there, but, you know, she's in coach, you know, coach for six, eight guys, chewing on your knees for 30 hours. And she had one kid on her lap, and the other kid's next to her, cramped up. It's a long flight, but she finally got to Australia. It was a horrible flight. One of the kids got sick. She sat next to an old lady who did not move for 30 hours, so she couldn't get up to use the bathroom herself. And Like she got off the plane, she was wearing a white shirt, and her sister goes, oh, what a beautiful pattern on that shirt. She goes, that's not a pattern. This was a plain shirt. Don't want to paint any pictures, but one of our children happens to get a little motion sick on airplanes. It was a horrible flight. I come over the next couple of days later, and I show up to L.A. to get on the airplane. Lady looks at me, and she goes, oh, let me print out a new boarding pass for you. Hands me my boarding pass, and it said 7B. And I went, could this possibly be? Could this be? A business class ticket from L.A. to Sydney. And I showed up to this business class seat, which is like first class everywhere else. And I could stretch out. I could lay down. The meals were just awesome. Like, I didn't have to wait for mealtime. I could just push a button and order whatever I wanted, and they came and brought it to me. There's champagne. There's caviar. There's like a full bar set up whenever you want it, and the meals are actually good, and you can sleep. I could lay down and sleep and show up in Australia at 6.30 in the morning having rested, and it was the most beautiful experience of my flying life. And I remember I got off the plane, and Romy greets me at the airport. I already knew what her flight had been like. And she goes, so how was your flight? I said, honey, you really don't want to know. <laughs> and she goes, was it that bad? And I was like, yeah, it was terrible. It was awful. And <laughs> there's a problem with flying business class overseas. It's really hard to go back to coach after that. And I remember on the flight back, we all flew coach. And I thought, if I was laid out two options of flying back to L.A. from Sydney, and somebody said, we can either offer you, for the same price, business class like you've experienced before, or we can put you in the back of coach in a seat that doesn't recline by a bathroom that nobody seems to know how to close the door after they've finished using where everybody bumps into you and that's where everybody wants to congregate because they're tired of sitting so they keep leaning up against you the whole time which one of these do you think you would choose if you were offered these two choices who in their right mind chooses coach nobody what do you call somebody who if they're offered something fantastic but continue to choose something terrible what do you call that person a Redskins fan. That's what you call them that. Why do you keep cheering for this team? I don't understand. They're horrible. But you're faithful. I'll give you that. So faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. I'm impressed. That's one of those things. But I look at this and I think, what is the problem with sinners? And we think, because we have the glory, it's been revealed to us, we think they're looking at two options. We think they're looking at business class and coach and they keep choosing coach. 
We're going, I don't get it. Why do you keep choosing a life of sin? Look where it ends up. But the problem is the business class was never available to them that they could see. I remember I flew back from Africa once, and I was trying really hard to get that upgrade from Africa because that's a long flight. And I kept telling them, I'm trying, trying to be nice, schmooze them, never works. I'm going, and they kept asking me the question. They said, do you have this premier level status? And I'm like, no, I don't. They're like, well, it's only available to that premier level status. And I was like, come on, you can do it. I know, whatever. And finally, you're like, you're just giving up, right? It's not on the table. And then you get on the plane, you walk past 30 empty business class seats. I'm so bougie. Listen to me. And I get back to coach. I fly coach all the time. I don't fly business, but this was like, this would have been great to do this. And then I found out when I got home that on the flight over, I had earned the status that I had needed for those seats, but I didn't, I didn't know. So I get back and they're like silver premiere or whatever. And I'm like, no, that was 17 hours of my life. I could have been sleeping. You see, I didn't realize that the option was even on the table. I was blind to it. What's the problem with sinners? It's not that they have two options and they keep choosing the less. It's that they're blind to the better option that's in front of them. And why are they blind? Because the God of this world has blinded their minds to the glory of Christ that's revealed in the gospel. If we understand this, trust me, it's going to change the way you view the world around you. We see the story of the prodigal son that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 of this son who lives in his father's house and he asks for his inheritance early and he goes away and he squanders it all, spends it on wine, women, and fast living, and he ends up broke. And he ends up selling himself to slavery, basically, to try to pay off his debts. But then he comes to this point in verse 16 that you see on the screens. And this lost son, the prodigal son, says, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came, why did they not give him anything? We'll get to that in a minute. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And this son goes home and he just wants to get hired as a, as a servant in his father's house. Do you know why nobody gave him anything to eat in the foreign land? It's because when he was there, he's just a slave. But in his father's house, he's a son. And even when he's in slavery, he's still a son. And he had to come to the realization that I have sold myself into something I was never intended to be involved with. But somehow the veil gets lifted. And when he says, when he comes to his senses, you know what that means? For some reason, the veil gets lifted and he remembers his father's house. I'm a slave here, but I'm a son there. You see, the son thought the value of the house was in the physical inheritance that he received. He missed that the true value of his father's house was his sonship. But when he comes home, <laughs> he's received not as a hired hand. He's not received as a criminal. He's not received as an outcast. He's received as a son 
who remembered that the blueprint that God wrote for his life was as a son and not as a slave and not as a sinner and not as a rebellious teenager. It was a son. And when he came home, he was received as that son. Let me help you with your worldview a little bit. Let me show you the wrong worldview. The wrong worldview is that the world is full of sinners who need to stop sinning. We had this discussion in our Wednesday morning Bible study. We talked about, you know, you look at some of the movies Hollywood puts out, and you're like, I can't believe they put this stuff out. Why do they just keep producing this garbage? Or you hear some music stuff, and you're like, I I don't get it. It's just full of the wrong thing and garbage. And there's a part of you that goes, I wish they'd just stop putting that stuff out and would make more wholesome stuff. The problem with Hollywood is not that they're sinning. It's a sight issue. It's that they're blind. But yet you see a guy like Kanye, whatever you think of him, but I promise you something's been revealed to that guy. And he's now seen there's another option on the table. And when you partake of the glory of Jesus, nothing else will do. It's really hard for me to fly coach right now. I'll do it for the sake of the gospel. But it's hard. I could never go back to a life of sin. I could never sell myself as a slave for all the money in the world, all the notoriety. I couldn't do it. Because I've seen the glory. And the glory now lives in me. So how do we respond to a world of lost sons and daughters? That's what we are. If your worldview is that, oh, I didn't give you the right worldview, did I? The right worldview, the wrong worldview, is the world is full of sinners who need to stop sinning. A right worldview is the world is full of lost sons and daughters who can't see the glory of Jesus. So how do you handle a world full of lost sons and daughters you can't see? Well, don't expect them to act different if they can't see. I think the first thing we can do is we can actually bind the work of the enemy, the God of this world that has caused the blindness in the first place. We can pray and bind the enemy's work over their lives that keeps them blind. Matthew 18, 18 says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you know what the word loose means? It means allow. Whatever you allow on earth will be allowed in heaven. That means if there's blindness in this world, we've allowed it. That means the God of this world actually needs our permission to cause blindness in others. That'll shape the way you view the authority that you have. He needs my permission. Sometimes I give my permission by omission more than commission. In other words, my lack of binding him has set him free. But I have the authority to bind the work of Satan over the people's spiritual eyes that he's blinded that are in my world. There's authority in that. We have authority to bind the work of Satan, and we have authority to open blind eyes. But in order for me to do that, when it comes to lost sons and daughters, I have to learn to separate the spirit from the person. I think I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But often we see sinners sinning and we get mad at the people. I wish that person would stop doing that. But you've got to separate the person from the spirit driving it. Do you know that sometimes when people hurl insults at you, 
Jesus is on the cross and they're hurling insults at him as if that's not enough that they just nailed him to a tree. You're going to hurl insults at me too. And Jesus looks at them and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You see, Jesus could separate spirit from the person. I know, God, they are a lost son or daughter who you love, but there is a spirit from the God of this world that is currently driving their behavior. So I will pray and cut through the spirit and the person, and I will rebuke and bind the spirit that's blinding them, and I will love the person. Don't get into the habit of rebuking the person and ignoring the spirit. We can rebuke the spirit, break off the work of enemy in someone's life, and still love the person in the process. Does that make sense? Second thing is we can let his light, you can let his light shine out of your darkness. Said God, the one who caused light to shine out of darkness, he's talking about when he created the world, the whole world was dark. And God just said, let there be light. That means he created it from nothing. Light shined from darkness. In other words, there was no like little teeny spark in the darkness somewhere that God just expanded on. There was nothing. God caused something to happen that did not previously exist. Let light shine out of darkness. Paul is writing and he's saying the same God that said, let light shine out of darkness will cause the light in you to shine out. Our hearts were that darkness. We were away from God. We were not friends of God. We were at enmity with God. And he caused his light, his glory to shine from us. And whenever we tell people about Jesus, the glory in us gets revealed to them. And now they see there's more options on the table than just this life I thought that I was supposed to live. There's more available to me. So you, son, daughter, let your light shine out of darkness. Let the glory of God in us shine brightly. The only thing that's required for light to shine out of your darkness is for you to surrender that heart to him. When I surrender it to him, his light then begins to shine out of me. You don't create the light. It's not your personality. And you have a great personality. It's not your skill or your, your, your articulation of things. It's the light of the glory of Jesus that shines in you. And it only comes from a surrendered heart. So if you hold back pieces of your heart that you haven't surrendered to him, then the glory begins to dim. And you're beginning to live off the old covenant. But if you surrender fully to him, as much as you surrender is as much as you shine. And people will see the glory of God. Last thing is just keep going without losing heart. Keep going without losing heart. Can I encourage you from this scripture that there is a limit to the pain that you will face? I'm not saying you won't face pain. Hey, Jesus gave us some great promises. You know one of them? You will face persecution. The world will hate you because of me. That's one I don't really want to claim. But there is a limit. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Let me show you what I'm talking about. I need somebody strong. Kitty, would you help me out with this? 
I was at Kenny's house last night for dinner, who has now put a new gym in his garage, and Kenny just let me know what's up. <laughs> and destroyed me on the bench, and the pull-up bar, and everything else. Ow, let's not do that. I was very impressed with your bench, benching ability, as was Liam. So I needed, I needed somebody strong to help me out with this. I want you to take this, and I want you to squeeze, squeeze it as hard as you possibly can, and I want you to bust it. Squeeze it as hard as you possibly can. <laughs> Seriously, all your strength. One hand? Yeah. As hard as you can. I'll clean it up. <laughs> Moses is going to help. One hand. Yeah. You actually squeezing it? I'm squeezing it. He's pointing it at you, by the way. <laughs> Is that as hard as you can do it? Don't fake it. No? Got nothing. Anybody else want to go? Just a regular can of Mountain Dew. Anybody else? Gary's mad because I didn't pick him. Gary's mad because I didn't pick him. We'll get you next time, Gary. Sorry. Thank you. Mom, come here. We're going to give you a go. We're going to give you a go. With your good hand, turn that way. Now you try. Whoa. Whoa. What's the difference? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. When you understand that you are filled with the glory of God, you can squeeze as hard as you want. You can have every external pressure, the world and mankind, and the enemy, the God of this age, reminding you of your past. You can have everything on you, and you don't budge because you are filled with the glory of Christ. He lives in you. He is not just for you. He is in you. But the moment we withhold our hearts from Him, the moment we try to put our hands on the steering wheel, the moment that we stop surrendering, the enemy goes, Pfft. just the slightest little bit of pressure, even though my mom is super strong, the slightest little bit of pressure, and we're crushed. If you're feeling like this can right now, I'd love to tell you that the answer for this is to have everybody here go home and in their prayer closet pray for you to succeed. I would love to tell you that the answer is for me to lay hands on you and to see you, through my prayer of faith, become like this. But can I tell you, it's not what it takes, though that can be part of it. What it takes is a surrendered heart.
Paul goes on to say, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. I often see that verse and I go, I don't want to carry around the death of Jesus. And then he goes, no, no, no. The death of Jesus means that when you surrender your heart, you pick up his life. Because the death of Jesus was the death of all of the things that made me empty. It's the death of coach. And it's the picking up of first class. <laughs> Why would we put up with this when this is on the table? Why would we walk around empty when we could be filled with the glory of Christ? I promise you that if you would just have the courage to surrender the parts of your own heart that you've been holding on to, you'll be filled with His glory. And those who are filled with His glory, they can't be stopped, they can't be despaired, they can't be abandoned, and they can't be destroyed. We're a family, and we do want to pray for each other, and we do want to lay hands on each other, and we do want to see God's power at work in you, and it happens through impartation as well. But the prayer I pray in faith can never replace your role in surrendering that heart to Him. And the fruit that we've seen in our church family has come from that. It's come from people who have made that choice and that decision. I know it's not always easy. And for some of you, you may be thinking, I'm not even sure what that means or how to do that. Go back and listen to like all of the podcasts from six months ago. Or just come talk to somebody here and we'll help you. But it ain't rocket science. There is glory for you. God wants his glory to live in you. And that glory will be the light to all of mankind. So can I pray for you as we close? Jesus, I thank you that your glory shines in every surrendered heart. I thank you that you love us so much that you have given us of yourself. And I pray that as we respond to the gift you've already given us, that although we face pressure, we're not crushed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.